reading today is taken from uh, the book of Luke, chapter 6, starting at verse 12. And that is found on page 1033 of your Bible. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. That is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High, because he's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. <laughs> be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Uh, continuing on, verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, 
and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and put them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Robin. Robin, you did exactly as you were asked and read the right passage that you were asked to, so that's fine. It's good, good to hear the whole chapter again, hey? So we all like somebody who puts the money where the mouth is, don't we? You know, somebody who says that they're convinced about something and then acts on it. So this bloke, um, so you won't know him because this was, he died this week, Gerald Kaufman, who's the Member of Parliament for Manchester Gorton, which is where I'm from, well, that ward. Okay, so he'd been the MP there without interruption since 1970. Well, that's even before I was born. Um, and that meant he had uh, the title of Father of the House of Commons in the UK, which means he's the longest serving MP. So, what was his secret? How did he stay so long? Well, in Parliament, he was known for his principal pursuit of social justice and his unrivaled debating skills. But in our ward, in Manchester Gorton, you knew if you had a problem, write to Gerald. Because Gerald Kaufman saw himself not just as a politician, but as a parliamentarian. He took very seriously the fact that he was representing his constituency. So when Sharon was 19 years old and the mother died, she was between sort of welfare systems and had no money available to help with the funeral. She wrote to Joel Kaufman. The next day, she got a letter back from the House of Commons. He chased it up with the Minister for Social Security, who fobbed us off with a, an answer that wasn't helpful. But loads of people I know have got the same story. He would write back the next day. He would chase them up. Um, the leader of Manchester Council at the time said this about him. When he had the, media, the world's media focused on him, when he was talking to European and American journalists about nuclear weapons, there was a change of policy, so he's into that. 
he phoned me up to complain about a failure of the housing department to deliver for one of his constituents. That was typical of him. So Kaufman didn't just believe in the parliamentary system of representation. He acted on it. And today we're looking at how Jesus shows us what it means to not just hear what he says, but to act on it. Well, first, just to help you get where we're we're looking at this first half of Luke's gospel. Um, and Luke has written this gospel to give us certainty about Jesus. So this is the, um, if you watched the Oscars this week, this guy, Ezra Edelman, won the Oscar for the best documentary, OJ, Made in America. And he said this about his film. There was no point I was trying to prove beyond searching for greater clarity and understanding. This was about the recollections of these people who lived through that history, and I very much did not want to manipulate that. Who am I, as the outside arbiter, to come in and say, I'm going to write this story? No, I'm going to let you tell these stories. That really struck a chord, because that's what Luke is trying to do. He's given us the eyewitnesses, and he's arranged the material so that we can have certainty, we can have clarity and understanding about Jesus. So the story so far is that Jesus has been proclaiming the good news that in him, God's kingdom has arrived. He's demonstrated his authority and power in his teaching, healing and forgiving people. Uh, he's been calling sinners to repent, to, to turn around and follow him. And he's been calling those sinners into his service. Uh, as his apostles, as his eyewitness, close followers. Uh, in the passage we just heard last week, um, John and Mark preached about how following Jesus is really costly, but has an awesome reward, being truly blessed. And as we pick up Jesus here, he's continuing to teach how to follow him, how to be his disciples. Um, he's already started showing us how his followers are to be radically countercultural. Um, verse 27, loving our enemies, uh, letting love, not sin, dictate how we deal with people, even those who abuse us. So in other words, as we pick up in verse 36, we're going to look at 36 to the end of the chapter. In other words, we're to be a chip off the old block. We're going to be, verse 35, sons, of the most high, sons and daughters of the Most High, having the DNA of God the Father. So there's an outline in the leaflets. Um, our first point, Jesus tell, continues telling us, don't judge, forgive. Don't judge, forgive. So Jesus tells us, his followers, not to be judgmental, condemning, or unforgiving, because God is not like that. Verse 36, be merciful, just as your father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will not be and you will be forgiven. Sorry. So this isn't saying we shouldn't be discerning, like just pretend everything's okay. Uh, in a moment we'll see Jesus teaching that we need to discern good teachers from bad teachers. So it's not pretending everything is good. Uh, and elsewhere in the Bible we're told to rebuke and to discipline one another. So it is okay to make a judgment call to discern if something is good or bad. But Jesus, Jesus isn't saying all people are innocent. But he is saying, don't hold it permanently against them. Jesus is saying, 
we're to be characterized by being merciful and forgiving because that's what God is like. So I don't know if you've ever been in a supermarket or a playground or maybe um, by the side of the sports field while your kids are playing. Or maybe you've been the kid playing. And sure, the kid in the supermarket might be acting up, throwing themselves on the floor, having a tantrum and being the wrong. Or the child in the sport is made not doing well at all. But it really grates, doesn't it? It really, really makes you cringe when you hear uh, parents treat them and kids in judgmental, condemning ways. You idiot. You stupid child. Don't be so useless. It gets to us. Now, you don't want to say, hey, it's okay for the kid to throw themselves on the floor. And, um, you don't want to say, uh, it's no problem that they just fouled their own team member and scored an own goal. They're not, it's not really a good thing, but you, you don't want them to be demeaned or devalued or to be made, made to feel like they've lost their parents' love. You don't want them to feel like there's no way back from this. So we don't want to pretend people are all, are all good and everything we do is okay. But if we evaluate others in such a harsh and unforgiving way, that it forgets to hold out the hope that Jesus offers, then we're not following him. Jesus comes to us proclaiming the good news of forgiveness of our sins. And yes, he's, Jesus has called out, he's judged and con condemned the hypocrisy of the religious teachers. But to anyone who will recognize their need for him, Jesus' default orientation, his holding pattern, if you like, is mercy and forgiveness because that is what God is like. So our default orientation, our reflex, should be mercy and forgiveness because that is what God is like. And God has a sort of an economy around this, doesn't he? Verse 38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, if we display our God's family likeness in being forgiving, not condemning, we will be richly rewarded. Now, when I say richly rewarded, that can't mean some sort of dreadful prosperity gospel. God will make you rich and popular if you're forgiving. Now, we saw in verse 22 to expect people to hate us. To expect people to revile us for following Jesus. But God, who is kind even to the evil and ungrateful, pours out his mercy and grace on us. So that we enjoy the blessings of right relationship with him. The blessing of forgiveness of sin. So how do we apply this to our own following of Jesus? Well... Um, it helps determine what I uh, and others will preach from the front here, what we do in growth groups, in WAG, in mixers, even in minis. Um, we do want to be true to the passage of scripture that we're, we're looking at. And if it contains a rebuke or a judgment, then we must teach that. We're not going to skip over the inconvenient bits. But I hope what we'll always do is do that in the context of the whole Bible of God's big plan of salvation, which shows us God is merciful. 
He's merciful, merci, <clears throat> excuse me, he's merciful to the extent of taking on himself our sin in Jesus. Taking on himself in Jesus the punishment we deserve. So if I ever send you away um, convicted of your sin and feeling bad about that, without also convicting you of God's grace to you in Jesus, knowing that your sin can be forgiven, then I haven't done my job. Now, secondly, we need to examine ourselves. So here's a good diagnostic question. I've got it on the screen for you. Pinch this from somebody else's sermon. When others see how I deal with people, will they think God is mighty to save or that God would never forgive them and there is no hope of forgi- for forgiveness? So when people see how I deal with people, will they think God is mighty to save or that God would never forgive them? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? Uh, us Christians, we're always talking about the world and unbelievers. And I must say, I've found myself falling into the habit of calling people and things pagan. Now, I guess that's sort of kind of helpful and, it, and sort of accurate in that it, it calls out attitudes and way of living for the idolatry that they are. But really, how do I come across when I say that? Do I come across as forgiving? Or is condemning. We need to be careful. Our, our engagement with politics, with social issues, what we post on Facebook. Do they promote the idea that we're full of grace and forgiveness because Jesus is? Or do they reinforce the idea that Christianity is merely a list of do's and don'ts? It is true Jesus will return to judge between those who belong to him and those who don't. But Jesus also describes himself as the good shepherd, as one who will go to enormous lengths to save even just one. And we have to remember that anyone we feel like judging or condemning or not forgiving, Jesus thought they were worth suffering and dying on the cross for. Jesus was so concerned with their forgiveness, he gave himself up to suffering and death to win it for them. You and I are hopelessly lost without Jesus' mercy and forgiveness. So who are we to condemn? So to our second point, the blind leading the blind. Why has Jesus brought all this up? Okay, he's speaking to his disciples. So why might they be in danger of becoming angry pants, judgmental types. Well, in this little parable, uh, Jesus is warning them against following the teaching of the Pharisees. Verse 39. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? Yes, they will, eventually. Verse 40. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Now, it's been pointed out to me in the past that I started looking like John Warner. Sound like I'm bald, similar shirts, that kind of thing. Um, We can all think of examples of a student surpassing the teacher. I'm not saying I've done that. (laughs) We can all think of examples of students surpassing the teacher. But here the picture Jesus has in mind is is of a disciple with their teacher. So there was no textbooks. So if you wanted to learn from someone, you followed them around all day, every day. You lived life with them, learned by word of mouth. And in that scenario, you inevitably end up becoming very similar to that person. 
So Jesus is using strong terms to warn his disciples not to become judgmental and condemning like the Pharisees, like the religious teachers. So if Jesus is warning his disciples who are with him in person, following his every move, if this is his warning to them, how much more do we need to hear this warning? So how can we make sure we're not blindly following the blind? Well, you need to squeeze their bottle and you need to squeeze your bottle, our third point. I'll explain what that means in a minute, okay? But verse 41, Jesus used this crazy illustration that Alex so helpfully helped us see before about the speck and a log. But notice Jesus says, how can you? So he's talking to the disciples. He's talking to us for intents and purposes. Uh, Jesus shows us how it is that we become condemning and judgmental in the first place. We become judgmental because we fail to see that we're deserving of judgment. We become condemning because we forget that we are only not condemned because of Jesus. We become unforgiving when we forget just how much we've been forgiven of and at what great cost to Jesus. So step one in not blindly following the blind, not following the pit, is to improve our spiritual eyesight, to stop pretending that we're somehow above judgment and condemnation under our own steam. This doesn't mean never dealing with someone's problems, never correcting them, but it does mean careful, prayerful self-examination before you do. And we need to recognize the fruit that we produce and the fruit of, the, of who and what we're following. So verse 43, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. So that fruit tree imagery is self-explanatory, isn't it? You don't get pineapples from a pomegranate tree. We all know that. Verse 45, a good man brings good things out of the good things stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Now, I just need a little help illustrating this uh, by the front row. Yes, you'll do. So if you could just make sure those are up. Excellent. Maybe spread out between you. So at um, a marriage enrichment course, I can't remember if it was last year or... Um, the, yeah, you'd want to put them up for sure. went to a marriage enrichment course, a few of us were there, and it talked about what happens when your marriage is under pressure. When your bottle is squeezed, what comes out? Okay, let's try this. What comes out when you're under pressure and you're squeezed? Thanks, guys. Well done. What comes out is what's inside. If there's orange juice inside, the fool would be all sticky now. Thankfully, it's just water. I squeezed and water came out. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So a good barometer of this, I think, is when we're on our own. So, you know, what do you like in the car? Would you enjoy a recording of you being played right now? Uh, that's, I'm usually okay in the car. But for me... It's our dog, Lily, who really applies the pressure. Sharon caught me the other morning running around the garden after her with a 
cardboard tube. Come here! When she's disobedient. What, when Lily applies the pressure what, and makes me mad, what's on the inside comes out. So that's examining ourselves. We'll talk more about our hearts shortly. But step, that's step one, squeeze your own bottle. Step two in not blindly following the blind into a pit is to recognize false teaching and false teachers. And Jesus says we're to know them by the fruit they produce. So we need to squeeze those who teach us, squeeze the teaching that we hear to see what comes out. How do we do that? Well, we need to make sure our teachers, so you need to make sure I and others who stand up here, are submitting to the teaching of Jesus in the Bible. So we can have a look at Titus chapter 1 or 1 Timothy chapter 3, which tell us the qualifications of elders and teachers. Uh, And most of it is about character. There's very little about skill and knowledge. Most of it's about character because if their heart isn't right, then their character won't be right. And also we need to make sure that what we're being taught is coming from the Bible. So that's why we get you to keep your Bibles open during the, in the sermons. That's why in preparing teaching, we work hard at looking at the context, working out who the original hearers were, how this passage fits into the whole Bible, so that what we teach is only what the Bible is actually saying, not what we want it to say. So that in the end, we're only following Jesus. As I said, not being judgmental, doesn't mean don't be discerning. You need to be really discerning. So the internet is a a minefield. Here's a really obvious example of false teaching. Okay, this is the only time you'll see any false teaching from up here. Um, And there's a thing tacked on at the end, just in case you miss it. Thanks, Paul. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. Amen. Let's open our hearts to him today. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul. Wouldn't it be great if all any rubbish that we saw on the internet came with that disclaimer at the end? But unfortunately, it doesn't. So you've got to be careful. Um, When I was a teen going on camps, we had a leader called Alan. And he would always say all the time, check it through scripture. Check it through scripture. And that's good advice. If something sounds weird or off, it probably is. Check the Bible, see if it's true. Well, it's good to keep reading your Bible. Read or listen to big chunks of it so you're familiar with it. So when you hear hokum, you'll spot it a mile off. But remember, don't be judgmental or condemning. So the challenge for me is um, the prosperity gospel. So, you know, the false teaching that if you please God, he will bless you with material wealth and physical health. Now, you've got to get the Bible really wrong to arrive at that conclusion. And it's dressed up as a nice, positive teaching, isn't it? But actually, how condemning and judgmental is it if you're materially poor or physically unhealthy? 
Now, you can see it gets under my skin. I think that teaching stinks. But how can I be so condemning when I find myself wanting God to make life easier for me and those around me? When I find myself desiring material riches? When I feel entitled to a certain level of comfort? See, God is very patient with my blindness. God is very forgiving of our sin. He's so forgiving that whilst we were still judging and condemning his ways, imagine that, Jesus came to take our sins onto himself so that we are not condemned. And the trouble is, we all know that when our bottle's been squeezed, we've produced bad fruit. We've all brought out the evil stored in our hearts. But remember, Jesus says he is anointed to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Jesus commands evil spirits out of people. Jesus tells Simon Peter, the self-confessed sinful man, don't be afraid and recruits him as an apostle. Jesus tells a man with leprosy, he's clean. Jesus tells a paralyzed man, his sins are forgiven. Says he has come not for the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. Jesus is the only teacher worth following. Because he is able to change our hearts. To deal with the problem of our heart. Producing good fruit in us. So how do we make sure we're following Jesus and not the blind? Well, we need to make sure we have our fourth and final point, a firm foundation. We need to have a firm foundation. So Jesus tells us to do what he says, not just to noddingly approve of him. Verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house and could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like the man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment that torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So truly following Jesus is not just about hearing his words, but acting upon them. Jesus is urging his disciples, urging us, not to build our lives on a foundation of self-righteous, judgmental, unforgiving hypocrisy. But on the foundation of recognizing Jesus as God's chosen one, come to bring us forgiveness and repenting of our sins and following him. Jesus says it's not enough to just be generously predisposed towards him, to just to think that he's a good guy. Jesus calls us to follow him, to read what he commands in the Bible and put it into practice, to put him in the driving seat, to submit to him and trust him with all of who we are. And we can summarize that in the phrase, repent and believe. Repent and believe. And if we don't, 
If we don't put this into practice, what Jesus says, when tough times come, we'll collapse under the pressure like that house. We'll get led to destruction by the blind. If we don't repent, when Jesus returns, and when he returns, he comes to judge, we'll be counted amongst the blind on their way to the pit. Now, Christians, we're often accused of being judgmental, aren't we? Judgmental for saying, believe in Jesus or be condemned. But everyone is holding everyone else up to some standard or other. So calling Christians judgmental is in itself a judgment, is in itself judgmental on, and on what basis we're allowed to evaluate each other. But in the end, who would you rather follow? The blind, who are judgmental, condemning, and unforgiving? Or Jesus, who, like God the Father, is merciful, giving himself up to suffering and death, taking our judgment, suffering our condemnation for us, bringing us forgiveness So to sum up, don't be judgmental. Have God's family likeness of generous mercy. Uh, don't address other people's failings until you've addressed your own. Test the fruit of teachers and their teaching. Check it against the Bible. Follow Jesus, put it into practice what he says in repentance and faith, trusting him to change your heart. And do all of this being merciful because your heavenly father is merciful. Let's pray. Heavenly father, we confess we have uh, at times been judgmental and condemning in our attitude, unforgiving. Um, we're sorry for that. Uh, please forgive us. Thank you that um, Jesus demonstrates in such an awesome way your grace, your mercy. Please help us have that family likeness. Uh, please um, give us discernment and um, point out to us where we're hearing or following false teaching. And please be changing our hearts so that we produce more and more good fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.